Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. Today we continue our series of sermons concerning the servant Jesus. The servant Jesus. Our text comes from the chapters of Mark. Now, if you'll remember, Mark is more concerned with the acts of service that Jesus performed rather than some historical significance that you find in other books of the Bible like Matthew and Luke. So today our text comes from Mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 19. It's called the choosing of the twelve. Now this is a special special passage because the ministry of Jesus is now in full swing. The common people of this of this area are follow Jesus because he preaches the word of God in both power and because he's working miracles for the glory of God. The religious leaders hate Jesus because he refuses to play by their rules and because he's exposing them for the hypocrites that they really are. So our Lord's days are filled with ministry, and things are happening at a pretty hectic pace. So let's read from God's Word. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. This text comes from the King James Version. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him who he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into a house. These verses find Jesus taking some time out of his frantic schedule, he takes the time to commune with his father and to choose the 12 men who will be his representatives to Israel. I said this passage was special, and it is, because it reminds us that anyone, anyone who will follow the Lord can be used by the Lord. And we look at the kind of men that Jesus chose and used in those days, it should give us some hope in these days. If Jesus can use men like these in the manner that he did, then surely, surely he can use you and me in these days. If you're saved, I want you to know that you have a place in the Lord's service. Let's look into these verses and observe the blessings that are revealed here as we consider the subject of the choosing of the twelve. Let's look at the master. In the first verse of our text, the focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has stepped aside from his public work for a time of solitude. He's left the crowds so that he might call his disciples. Let's look at some of the truths that are revealed here. First of all, there's a time of special communion. Mark just tells us that Jesus go up up into a mountain. Luke is a bit more specific. He tells us that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. That's Luke chapter 6 verse 12. Jesus is about to ordain 12 men who will be his spokesmen, his representatives to the people of Israel. This is a big decision, and Jesus wants to be sure that he knows the mind of the Father. So he sought a private place and spent the night in prayer seeking his Father's will. Now this is a huge lesson for us. 
Jesus, God the Son, and God in the flesh, and he felt the need to commune with God the Father before he made a big decision. Jesus took time out of his busy schedule to spend time in prayer. Jesus saw the great need of reaching up to the Father for the help that he needed day by day. The fact that Jesus made prayer a priority in his life highlights our own need to seek the Lord in prayer. We are not God in the flesh, not even close. We're not the Savior and the Redeemer of humanity. We're just a group of people that should have been sent to hell in a wagon. But no, God in his great grace and mercy reached out to us and saved us from our sins. He brought us into his family and gave us the privilege of prayer. Prayer is a privilege. Just a brief glimpse at prayer and the promises attached to it are enough to showcase its importance in our lives. Number one, God has promised to hear our prayers. Look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, where it says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. God has also promised to answer our prayers. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now some people look at this and they say, well, no, this is just not the case. I mean, does it say that everything I pray for that God's going to give me? No, but you're going to get an answer. He's going to answer you. Sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. He doesn't always just immediately say yes. Remember that. And then God uses our prayers to accomplish his will in this world. Look at James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, where it says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, God knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. And since this is true, some people have wondered, why do we even need to pray? I mean, after all, God's only going to do what he pleases to do. Your prayers and mine change nothing. So why pray? Have you ever thought that the whole end of prayer might be prayer itself? Have you ever thought that the whole end of prayer might be the prayer itself? Have you ever considered the truth that God commands us to pray because he longs for fellowship and communion with people like us? He desires for us to pray so that we might spend time in his presence. And time spent in his presence is time well spent. Of course, the more time you spend with him, the more you begin to think like him. And after a while, you only ask for those things that you know will glorify him. Communion with God brings closeness to God, and that is his primary desire for your life. Look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shewed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Let me just encourage you to be a man or woman or child of prayer. Seek the Lord and seek him often. Nothing will develop your life more than prayer. There was, this was also a time of sovereign choice for Jesus. You see, there had been great multitudes that were following Jesus as he moved from place to place and ministered. Now he chooses 12 men from among those vast multitudes to be his disciples. He had already called them to follow him. 
We saw that with Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Matthew. Now he calls them to a special place of service. Matthew chapter 10 verse 2 tells us that these men were set aside and were called apostles. This the world speaks of one sent with orders. It refers to a representative of the king, one who speaks with the king's authority, one who must not be ignored. Jesus handpicked these 12 men and sent them out with his message. Why did he call these men and, and not other men? Why were these singled out for this great honor? Was it something they possessed that other men lacked? Were they especially spiritual and close to the Lord? Did he know that they were going to make great preachers? The Bible says he called unto them whom he would. There was nothing special in these men. As we can see in a minute, they were common men with common deficiencies and common problems. So why did he call them? Because he wanted to. It was a sovereign choice that he made based on his own will. May I say that it's a privilege to be chosen by him. You know, first, he called me to come to him for salvation. His call wouldn't go away and it wouldn't be denied. And when I came to him by faith and asked him to save me, he did just that. He came into my life and changed it completely and made me a new creature. I didn't even deserve that, but he gave me more. Then later in my life, he reminded me of his promise, of his faith to save me. And he came calling to me to preach his word. Again, his call came and it would not go away. What an honor it is to be called to handle the word of God. I tell you, it's an absolute privilege to be one of his preachers. You know, you might not be a preacher, but he's called you to serve him too. In fact, he calls every person he saves into his service. If you doubt, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, James chapter 2, verse 18. And when he saved you, he gifted you and gave a place in a body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 26. I encourage you to seek his face, find your gifts, and get busy for Jesus. You know, Jesus could have chosen a thousand different ways to get his work done on this earth. He could have used angels. He could have just done it himself. He could have created a special group of people to do it. Wait a minute. That's exactly what he did. He saved us out of our sins and created us as a special group of people to do his will on this earth. He chose you. Get busy and serve him. His call will not go away. Look at Romans chapter 11 verse 29. The Bible says, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So let's look at Jesus' mission while he's here. These two verses tell us, verses 14 and 15, tell us what the Lord expected these 12 men to do. These two verses establish a pattern of the ministry that continues to this day. These verses also reveal a priority in the ministry that we must not ignore. First of all, it involved discipleship that they should be with him. This phrase highlights every disciple's first priority, and that's being with Jesus. The Lord called these men to follow him in a relationship of personal fellowship. He wanted to teach them his ways, and that required closeness. He wanted them to learn from him, and that required 
closeness. He wanted to train them by personal example, and that required closeness. Most of all, he wanted them just to be with him because he loved them and he desired their fellowship. Being with Jesus should be the first priority in each of our lives. If we should be like him, then we must spend time with him. If we would serve him like he desires, then we must spend time with him. There is nothing as important in your life as time spent with Jesus. The time you spend with him in the closet of prayer is worth more than all the gold in the world. The time spent feeding on the green pastures of his word is worth more than all the diamonds in the world. The time spent in his presence as you walk through your day is more valuable than all the wealth of the universe. Nothing compares to being with him. You know, we can get as close to him as we want to be. He has promised us that we can get as close as we like. If you look at James chapter 4 verse 8. I'd like to be as close as John the Beloved was at the Last Supper in John 13. He was close enough to hear the heartbeat of the Savior, to feel his breath on his hair, to hear his still, small voice as he revealed divine secrets. Intimacy on that level is available to all who desire it. Here's his promise to us. And if you seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You can be as close to the Lord as you desire. Stop holding back and get close to Jesus. This decision for the disciples involved declaration. You see, Jesus called these men to go forth to preach. The word preach means to act as a herald, to sound forth the message of the king. Jesus handpicked these men and called them to take his message to the nation of Israel. What was the message they were to preach? It's the same message that Jesus himself had been preaching. It was the gospel of the kingdom. It was the good news that God has sent his son into the world to be their savior of sinners. It was a message of hope, peace, and blessing. The disciples were to take this message to the people and call them to come to Jesus. What a great and high calling they received. We all know that not everyone is called to be a preacher. In fact, some of the people who claim to be preachers have never been called of God to that position. Some have called themselves. Others have been called by a mom or a dad, perhaps a grandma or grandpa. Others have been called by the church. You can tell when God calls a man. When God calls a preacher, three things will be true. God will use that man for opening doors for him to preach. God will speak through the preacher to feed his sheep, and God will make the preacher fruitful by saving souls under his preaching. That's how you know. Now, while God only calls some to be preachers, he calls all his children to be witnesses. When he saved you, he placed his spirit within you. When the spirit came in, he gave you a testimony share and a commission to share it. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So while you may never stand in a pulpit and preach a sermon, you can still preach the gospel everywhere you go to every creature you encounter. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus still wants his disciples to declare his message. His picking involved demonstration. The preaching ministry of these men was to be accompanied 
by miracles. They were given the power to heal the sick and to cast out devils. These are called sign gifts. They were given this power to validate their ministry to the people that they preached to. The people knew that Jesus was a healer and he had power over demonic spirits. And when the disciples came preaching and demonstrating that same power, the people knew that their message was real and that they were truly servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in our day, we do not have the same signs following our ministries any longer. Um, Some people on TV and, and other places claim to be able to heal and such, but most of them are charlatans and liars. If they can heal, let them follow the New Testament model and heal whoever they meet that needs healing like Jesus and the other disciples did in John chapter 5 verses 1 through 10 and Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 9. You see, we don't need the sign gifts to validate our message any longer. Why? The sign gifts were designed to speak to the Jewish people to let them know that their Messiah had come. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 22. Today, our message is validated by the lives that Jesus changes by his grace. You see, every time he saves a soul and delivers a sinner from the grip of his or her sins, he's validating his message. Every time an alcoholic or a drug addict is set free, he validates his message. Every time a marriage is put back together, he validates his message. Every time a redeemed saint of God can stand and give testimony to the life-changing, soul-saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, he validates his message. I'm saying that we're seeing greater miracles today than the disciples were able to perform. Every time these doors open, every morning when we rise, every day that we live is a powerful demonstration of the power and the presence of our God. Let's look at the men that he called. In verses 16 through 19, these verses tell us the names of the men that Jesus chose to be his disciples. In reality, each of these men deserves a separate sermon, but we don't have time for that this morning. Today, we must content ourselves with just gleaning the barest of facts about them. Let's look at their names. We'll move through this list of names and learn a little about each of the disciples. First of all, there was Simon. This is the Hebrew name. It means a rock or stone. Jesus changes his name to Peter. This is a Greek name, and it also means rock or stone. Peter was the leader of the group. He was a fisherman with a family. He was outspoken and opinionated. He failed the Lord in every public manner, but he humbled himself and was restored. He was used to the Lord in a mighty way in the early church. Let's look at James. James was a fisherman. He was a member of the Lord's inner circle. James, Peter, and John were singled out for a special time of ministry three times. When the daughter of Jairus was raised from the dead, when Jesus was transfigured, and when Jesus went a little farther into Gethsemane to pray. James was a great leader in the early church, serving as its first pastor. He was the first of the apostles to be put to death for his faith in the Lord. There's John. He was the brother of James and also a member of that inner circle. John was known as the beloved disciple. He was a mighty influence in the early church, writing five books of the New Testament. John was the only apostle not 
to be put to death for his faith, but he was persecuted, imprisoned, and banished to a desert island. These two brothers were named Boanerges by the Lord Jesus. This name means the sons of thunder. This name fits because, like me, they had violent tempers, even wanting to pray down fire on a village that refused to receive the Lord Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 52 through 56. They also had a little bit of selfish ambition because they asked Jesus for a place of special prominence in the kingdom. Look at Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 40. What does this really mean? It means that they were human. Let's look at Andrew. He was the brother of Peter. He had been a fisherman before he came to Christ, and every time he appears in the gospel record, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Andrew was a powerful witness for the Lord who saved him. Then there's Philip. We don't know that much about Philip. Jesus calls him in John chapter 1, verse 43, and immediately Philip goes to tell Nathaniel or Bartholomew about Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 44 to 45. Bartholomew is also known as Nathaniel. He seems to have been a man with some issues with prejudice, as look in John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. He was also a man of honesty and deep religious conviction, in John chapter 1, verse 47. There's Matthew. Matthew was a Jew named Levi. He had been a tax collector for Rome. He was a controversial choice and was no doubt despised by many of the people. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 14. But the Lord calls him, saved him, and changes his life. Matthew would write the gospel that bears his name. Thomas. This man is sometimes condemned as a doubter. We do know that he was loyal to Jesus even to the point of being willing to die with him. If you look at John chapter 11 verse 16, he was the only disciple not cowering in fear in the upper room on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. John chapter 20 verse 25, he was a doubter of the unseen, but he was willing to accept the truth when it was revealed to him and willing to die with the Lord Jesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, nothing's really known about this man. We do know that his mother was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. John chapter 19, verse 25. There's Thaddeus. Can't find any information about this disciple. There's Simon the Canaanite. The word Canaanite translate, translates as word that means zealous. Simon was a revolutionary. He was a Jew sworn to overthrow the Roman government. He was probably idealistic, proud, radical, outspoken, fiery, and fearless. Amen, brother. Then there was Judas Iscariot. Judas was the only disciple to come from Judea. He was the treasurer of the group, but he was a thief and a miser. Look at John chapter 12, verses 5 through 6. Judas was never truly saved, and it would have, he would eventually betray Jesus into the hands of the Jews for 30 pieces of silver. He died lost, and we presume that he went to hell. Now, some wonder why Jesus chose a man like Judas. The answer to that question is not totally clear. However, Judas had a role to play, and he played it perfectly. His sin, his hypocrisy, and his betrayal were all part of God's redemptive plan. Judas does teach us a valuable lesson. 
He teaches us that it's possible to look saved and act saved and not be saved at all. It's possible to be deceived in your salvation. That's why you need to heed the words of the Bible and make your calling and election sure. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Then there's the natures. I said at the outset of this message that these men give us hope today. The fact that Jesus was able to use these men with all their weaknesses and failures lets me know that he can use me too. These men lacked spiritual understanding. They lacked humility. They lacked faith. They lacked commitment. They lacked power. These men were always getting into trouble. Missing the point were Christ's teachings, lashing out at people who were different, saying the wrong things, and walking away for their commitment to Jesus, among other failures and problems. Yet, in spite of their weaknesses, the Lord used the sorry, <clears throat> the Lord used these men to turn the world upside down for his glory. If he can use them, surely he can use us too. And that gives me great hope today. Jesus led them patiently along, filling them with his spirit, and shocked the world with the way he used these men. And I am convinced that he can and will use us if we will place the clay of our lives in his hand and let him have his way for us in his glory. In closing, Jesus took 12 ordinary men, saved 11 of them by his grace, and made something special out of their lives. He wants to do the same thing in you and in me. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you need to know there's a place called hell. If you die without Jesus, you will go there. But it doesn't have to be that way. If you will simply come to Jesus, confess your sins, and receive him into your heart, he will save you and prepare you for heaven. He will make you a great disciple. If you're saved, wouldn't you like to be used to the Lord in a greater fashion? I challenge you today to bring your life to Jesus, place it in his hands, and ask him to take you and make you a disciple for his glory. If he can use the likes of these 12 men, then he could surely use you. Would you bow with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we've had together, Lord. Time to study your word, to look at those who your son called to his service, and to know, Lord, that you still are calling people to your service. Father, I know there are some in the sound of my voice today that have not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I ask you to impress on them the need to come today, now, to accept Jesus Christ and to join the ministry. Father, if those out there that have accepted Jesus, but maybe they have not yet sought their place in your kingdom, then Father, I ask you to be with them, to help them realize what their potential is, what their job is, and what their role is to be for Jesus. Father, I thank you for your son today. I thank you for what he did on the cross for us. And I pray in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. If you made a decision today, I would like to know about it. Uh, please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org. Or visit our website, www.christ-lives.org. There you'll also find the other uh, sermons that have been preached uh, for, the, for Christ Lives. And uh, you may view those at your leisure. Thank you so much for listening today. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.